The Under the Hood Basketball Podcast brought to you by DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook. I am Jonathan Hood, and basketball is hood. Thanks so much for downloading the podcast. As always, check us out on Spotify. Do you have Spotify? You can be able to pick up every episode on Spotify or the ESPN Chicago app. The ESPN Chicago app, look for the Captain J Hood Show. That's where I work. Monday through Friday from 7 to 10 a.m. Central Time, the Captain J. Hood Morning Show on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. We got a lot of things to talk about when it comes to the NBA because if you love basketball, you come to the right place because we do talk basketball, college pro, everything else in between right here on the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast. The Bulls lose to the Utah Jazz the other night at the United Center. By the score of 120 to 95. Now, I watched this game. I know that we're immersed in March Madness, but of course, I'm going to watch the Bulls because I got to find out what's going on with this team. So, I watched the best team in the NBA really take apart this Bulls team. Just disassemble the Bulls as if they're not on the floor. This Jazz team is for real, definitely in the regular season. Of course, we get to the playoffs, a deep playoff run. Not sure if the Jazz will get there, but I just know that Donovan Mitchell is a difference maker for that team. I enjoy watching him play. Dude's not trying to reinvent the wheel. He'll give you the mid-range shot. He gives you quality from three, five for eight from three-point range. Also, Rudy Gobert with 21 points. That's a great one-two punch. I like that they have weapons and depth this utah team whether it is joe ingles the veteran or clarkson who's been there and done that um bogdanovich coming off the bench o'neal gives them a solid defensive effort uh mike conley uh this team comes at you in waves they are like noah's ark they got two of everything whatever you need they have on this utah jazz team so they're one of the one of the definitely the best teams in the nba let alone the west but if you're the bulls You got to give this team your best shot, right? It's a measuring stick game. How good can the Bulls be against the best team from a one-loss record standpoint in the NBA? And they've maintained that all throughout. And I watched the Bulls, and they just kind of folded their tent. Lowry Marketing, a guy that seemingly is in a position to maybe, maybe be traded by the deadline or may not be with this ball club next year. Um, Dude had 19 minutes and eight points, three for 12 from the field, and went to the foul line a couple times. Just kind of empty stats when you really need him to give you double digits, and especially get it on that glass. I appreciate the seven rebounds. That's the thing that's the positive for marketing. But as far as offensively speaking, I don't care who he's guarding. 
on the other side, he's got to be able to get the work done offensively to help Zach Levine. This is all what it's about, right? Zach Levine had 27 points, 10 for 25 from the field. He was 4 for 10 from 3. All good, right? Had his 4 assists. You want to raise that a little bit more, but Zach is doing a lot on the floor. And there wasn't a lot of Bulls helping you out offensively. Um, Sadoransky had 13. Um, so, But let's talk about this team overall because before we hear from Billy Donovan, because I think it's interesting to see what has happened to this team since the All-Star break. Let's get into that. So here's my issue. I look at this team, the Bulls, since the All-Star break. And you know, Billy Donovan, the head coach for the Bulls, had to make changes, right? He said, you know, we're just stagnant. And I just think that this team is really inconsistent, right? I understand what this season is. You and I have talked about this a ton. But the point is, though, is you want to see some results at some point. This Bulls team in the second half, the way they played against Utah is a microcosm of a ball club that is 19 and 23. It's a below average team, at best average on some nights. They play Cleveland coming up in a day. We'll see whether or not the Bulls can be able to master the Cleveland Cavaliers, but watching this team. So look at how it's put together as far as the starting lineup. So Zach Levine is a one, the number one guy, the go-to guy on this basketball team. And then it's kind of a struggle to find out as far as starters, who do you give the ball to next? I'm a Thad Young fan. He had 14 points. He had nine rebounds, two assists. He was in there for less than 30 minutes to put up that kind of production. You appreciate that if you're Billy Donovan. But this is where marketing has to come in. Like I'm not expecting the world from Williams, but when he's in there, he's giving you a, a decent effort. He didn't score a lot in this game against Utah. He had six points and four rebounds. He's a rookie. He's not going to set the world on fire. But what I'm looking for is some results from this Bulls team. And I tell you what, as we get to the end of the season, if the Bulls don't make the playoffs, I think that Karnaschovas and Eversley, along with Billy Donovan, have some really long thoughts about some of the young players in this roster and whether or not they're going to be here for next year. Because one thing about Donovan, if you remember him from Oklahoma City, that's a dude that every year the roster changed. Now, at the top of that roster for Oklahoma City, there was always a Durant, there was a Harden. There. I mean, they had some quality players for sure difference-making players, but the roster, as far as the main parts, changed a lot. He kept winning despite that. So it would not surprise me if there's going to be something different with this Bulls team. So as I mentioned, Sadoransky, solid. You know, they had to have someone that could be able to handle the basketball. He had four assists in the game against Utah the other night. But that move of Sadoransky starting is definitely an indictment on Kobe White. Kobe White's getting pushed down further and further into the bench. And anytime that you see Archie Diakonos coming off the bench before Kobe White, some games, that's tough. Kobe White had 10 points in 23 minutes, two for five from three. But here's what you're looking for. Number one from him, defensive effort. Number two, if you're going to be the lead guard, play like it. I know that he could be a two-guard because he loves to shoot first in a kind of a Ben Gordon-type role, but the Bulls need someone to be able to distribute the basketball and make others better. Look, it's positionless, right? We know the league. You and I know the league. We know that it's positionless basketball. But, man, at some point, 
somebody's got to make others better. Besides Zach Levine getting his and sometimes helping the team, that, that's just got to get better. And you know, I look at this, you know, the Otto Porter Jr. Otto Porter comes off the bench, had 20 minutes, one for four from the field, had two points. Uh, in what world does that work for this Bulls team? And then you look at like Wendell Carter Jr., another one, right? So Wendell has six points and eight rebounds in 18 minutes. I like that. I like that. I like the rebounding more so than anything else. Yeah, you want double-digit points, but I like a guy that's trying to maximize his minutes on the floor. Look, clearly the coach has fallen out with Wendell Carter Jr. and Kobe White. So you got to make the most of it. You got to work your way back into the starting lineup. You got to figure out how you can be the future of this basketball team. And if you're going to be healthy, you got to make some noise. Like Otto Porter Jr. is washed. That's not the future of this team. He's making a lot of money to do very little off this team. That's a dude that has starters money, and he's coming off the bench. That's not that's not really the future of the team. But if you're Wendell, if you are Gafford, if you are White, you got to realize that you got to get out there and be able to make the most of it. And these guys are just not doing it. The inconsistency of this Bulls team, though, tells you a lot, doesn't it? I mean, look at the games that they have played. So losing against the Jazz, I mean, a lot of teams lose against the Jazz. That's going to happen. I'm that I'm not tripping on that. But they beat the Pistons, and who doesn't? 186. And then losing against the Nuggets, that's a good team. But it's just the way the Bulls lost, how they just relinquished the lead, where they just didn't seem like they're into it, especially late in the game. Losing against the Spurs, that's an all-timer right there. The way they had the lead, they were comfortable for three quarters, at least for a half, and then all of a sudden the Spurs come back. That's not about Popovich and, um, and the coaching. That's just about a team that let go of the rope defensively. Um, looking at how they played uh, against the Heat, where that was one of their better defensive games for three quarters, and then again, the Heat, who are also strong, gave it to the Bulls, 101-90. to 90. Bulls had a chance to win that game, but then again, they were not good defensively. Um, you know, you saw the 76ers game where you know, Joel Embiid was a, a couple of, I guess that was early in the season against Joel Embiid, where Embiid had 50. But before that, there was no Embiid, no Simmons, and the Bulls still lost that game, 127 to 105. I mean, that's the issue with this team, the inconsistency of this basketball team. It, it says a lot, not just for now, but for the future of this basketball team. Some thoughts down from Billy Donovan, the head coach for the Bulls, as he talks about the loss against the Utah Jazz. Hey, Billy, just what did you see when the game got away from you guys late in the first quarter and early in the second quarter? Yeah, I think we went through a pretty long period there where we didn't score. Um, and, you know, I think when you're not scoring um, – they did what they really do well, which is get out and transition. And they got out and transition. And, you know, in a lot of situations, we could not get back well enough. Um, you know, obviously, they're a top five or six team offensively and defensively. So when you go through that kind of drought, you're playing a lot of transition defense. And, you know, I thought our transition defense at times was, was good tonight. And other times, we, you know, we really obviously struggled. But we went through a an incredible drought. I think it started there, to your point, maybe towards the end of that first quarter where uh, you could just see it uh, a little bit. Um, and then it kind of bled over into uh, midway through the second quarter. I thought we, you know, closed the half out fairly well in terms of cutting it to 14. Uh, but then obviously we dug ourselves a hole again, starting the third. 
Casey, go ahead with the next one, please. Billy Lowry had that finish where he, he scored over Gobert and he also drew a foul from Rudy and, and knocked down some free throws. But he, you know, he's shot the ball such a high clip tonight, this season, but he struggled tonight. What, what do you overall want him to take from tonight's game? You know, Casey, I thought in the Detroit game, you know, he really, I think I maybe we talked about this maybe before the game, he he did a really good job of shot faking and getting downhill and driving, uh, you know, against Detroit. And I even thought the first possession of the game, I think one of his scores, he drove it and finished really, really well early in the game. And, um, you know, he had some opportunities at the basket. You know, he didn't really make them. Um we didn't shoot the ball collectively as a team very well from three. And obviously he didn't, you know, shoot it great from three. Uh, but, you know, he's got to be multidimensional in terms of trying to play downhill, and which I did think he tried to do. You know, he just didn't finish down there, you know, very well. And that happens sometimes. Uh, and then obviously take his shots. You know, we tried to come out of the, uh, the third quarter with a play to him. You know, we put him in pick and roll with that. And he kind of turned the corner and he, you know, got downhill on Gobert and he got to the backboard and, you know, just didn't finish it. You know, and I'd say we got to the rim fairly at a decent level in the first quarter, I mean, excuse me, the first half, but I think we shot 46% in the first half inside the deep paint. So you couple that with the way we shot the ball from behind the line and the fact that we went through a real, real drought there at the end of the first, beginning of the second, you know, we were just playing catch up for most of the game. And just one more on Lowry. He sat for over a full quarter of action from early third to early fourth. Was that a reflection of the score or you rewarding a unit where Otto had it going a little bit there or a combination thereof or what was the reason? Yeah, no, it really had nothing to do with Lowry in terms of me being disappointed or upset or anything at all at that. I, I just you know, was trying to find some different guys. You know, obviously when the bench came in, you know, that, that was a challenge for us. Right. And I think you look at the bench differential was pretty drastic. And I was just trying to find some different, you know, just some different combinations. And that group was going pretty good. You know, we kept kind of chipping away there, you know, at that third quarter, uh, with that group. Uh, but we could never quite get over the hump. You know, we got it down. They called a couple of times. I don't know. I think we get down maybe 14 or 12, maybe somewhere in that range, but we never could quite. And then they kind of answer and go back up to 17 or 18. But, I thought that group was going pretty well. I just tried to go with them. And because it was, they were battling and competing pretty well, I just went with them a little bit longer. And then, you know, to be quite honest with you, you know, that start of that fourth quarter, uh, you know, just wanted to see how it would go with that lineup. And then, you know, just kind of put him back in there because I think that we needed to, at that point in time, we put him at the five to try to get Gobert on him and play a little bit smaller and maybe we could stretch the floor a little bit um, just to open it up to create some stuff at the basket because we had struggled most of the night finishing at the rim. Billy Donovan, the head coach for the Chicago Bulls. Okay, so when it comes to the trade deadline for the Chicago Bulls, and it's just going to be this week here, the trade deadline you got to be realistic if you are a Bulls fan, right? You got to be realistic. So you could take a look at this roster and you say, who is going to step up and be the number two scorer next to Zach Levine? Because ultimately, that's what it's about, right? This league is about having three quality players, three quality scorers that can help, help you every single night. Three guys. And I think that Williams is too premature to say that he's that guy today. He might be that guy next year or the next couple of years, but he'll be a piece of a championship puzzle if the Bulls get there. So Zach Levine is just one guy. And then I think Williams is a piece for the future. But what about right now? So if I'm Eversley and Karnaschovas, 
I'm sure the league is watching Wendell Carter Jr. off the bench. They're also watching uh, what's happening with uh, Lowry Markkinen. And I'm sure the league is not impressed. Uh, I know that Wendell probably, I would say that those two really need a change of scenery. Uh, I would not give up on Kobe White. I think that Kobe White, either he's going to learn to be able to be a multifaceted guard or he's just going to be a microwave type dude that just comes off the bench or just someone that could just fill it up and just be a scorer. Uh, but that does not help your lead guard issues. Here's what we have to know for real, for real, right? As we do this on March 23rd, the Bulls, as is, are the ninth, tied for ninth in the East with the Indiana Pacers, a team also trying to find their identity. We know the Bulls are not going to be as good as the Sixers this year or the Nets or Milwaukee or Miami or even Atlanta. Atlanta's off to a pretty good start. But there's a shelf life on this Eastern Conference, right? The top of the top are the 76ers, the Nets, and the Bucks. And Miami, again, still trying to figure things out, going to find out whether or not what they did last year was because of the bubble or because they actually do have some talent there that can get them to another level. But I'm really looking at the top three. You know the Bulls can't compete against those teams in a series. So that's out because really it's about next year. So I would say that the deadline, I'm sure the Eversley and Carter Showbiz will look and say, hey, do you want a Wendell Carter Jr.? Because you can just tell either from injury or ineptitude, he's not getting it done on a regular basis. I'm not saying that he's trash. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that Wendell would be a trade ship for either draft picks or for someone else that can be able to help this basketball team. It's not necessarily about this year for me. It's really about next year. And I'd hate for the Bulls to be back in the lottery again, but if that's what happens, it happens. But if you don't find someone next to Zach Levine, who I suppose the Bulls are going to pay a full boat contract to, then what are we doing? Then what are the Bulls doing, right? You're spinning your wheels. Um, while Toronto's down, uh, while Detroit, Orlando, uh, you're just trying to figure out how the Bulls can be in that top eight or be in the top nine and be a playoff team and it'd be a perennial playoff team. Here's what's happened. If you take a look at the East, Atlanta, even though they're just one game above 500 under Nate McMillan, they've gotten better. Uh, you know, you look at the Knicks under Tom Thibodeau, not surprising. They're just trying to find a way. Um, but it's a team that's not embarrassing anymore because they have an identity with Randall and they are a good defensive team. So the Bulls have to find that identity too. Their identity right now is inconsistency. And that's going to turn around if they want to be a good team uh, moving forward. But you got to determine if Zach's the dude, good. Find someone that can also score with him. If he's not the future, then you go into the lottery, tank, you know, I hate that, and try to figure out how you can find the next quality players to lead this Bulls team into the future. But as is, this is too inconsistent for this team to do anything for the near future. Hey, DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting all new customers in the center of the tournament action. Bet $1 in any tournament game, and if your team wins, 
you win $100. It's just that simple. Pick any college basketball team that is still in the hunt for your shot at winning $100. All it takes is a $1 bet and that team winning their next game. Download the top-rated DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook app now and use the code WMVP when you sign up to turn $1 into $100. If the team that you choose for college basketball pulls off that win, that's code WMVP for a limited time. Only with DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Illinois only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com. Slash Sportsbook for details. If you or someone you know has got a gambling problem. Crisis counseling or referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. 1-800-426-2537. So glad that you're with me here for the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast, brought to you by DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook. I'm actually on vacation. It's my first day of vacation, so I didn't want to leave out of town and not give you some basketball content. And by the way, keep checking in to the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast. You can find it on Spotify. There will be some new material, some new content for basketball on this feed. Just continue to check out Spotify, look for the Underhood Basketball Podcast, and share this. Don't be selfish. Share this podcast with people. Let them know, hey, John the Hood Talks Basketball. If you're a basketball fan, this is for you. couple of headlines for you around the NBA. So, man, LeBron James is down and out. And he, it's interesting because LeBron James, who was defiant and telling people, no, nah, I'm going to keep playing. I don't need any days off. I'm good. Well, LeBron James has had a massive injury here. And does that help? Does that hurt the Lakers? No, that high ankle sprain, yeah, it's tough, but it's not going to do in the Lakers. That high ankle sprain, he's out indefinitely. Uh, as James exited the Lakers' 99-94 loss against the Atlanta Hawks in the first half after Solomon, Solomon Hill collided with his uh, right ankle, Lakers fans, get over yourself, okay? So Sol- Solomon Hill wasn't trying to injure LeBron on purpose. Uh, I hear I hear Laker Nation getting pissed off at Solomon Hill like, oh, you injured our guy on purpose. Nah, he didn't do that on purpose. It's just a good basketball play. But it's just, here's a guy here that's the Iron Man, Right? I mean, sure, he's taking his time off because of injury, but coming off of winning the championship and then a two-month layoff and then going back on the floor without Anthony Davis, he just thought, okay, I'm going to lead the team. But it just shows you a guy like LeBron James, even LeBron needs to have some time here and there. That's not going to lock the Lakers out of the playoffs. It, It makes them vulnerable here in the regular season. But once everyone's healthy, they will be a formidable team to beat again because it's LeBron, because it's Anthony Davis. But, you know, it's something to be said, as I said before, man, it just seems so sudden. The championship is won by the Lakers and Adam Silver and the NBA just need to have that Christmas Day money. They just need to have that that TV money. And so there they are on Christmas Day. And I said, boy, that's really sudden. And now Joel Embiid, a guy that is MVP candidate, is out. And then you see LeBron out, Anthony Davis out. And you see a number of injuries to key players. And now you look around, it's like, oh, well, of course that's going to happen. When you don't have give athletes the proper time to be able to rest their bodies as they would have in a regular season, there's going to be injuries. And now 
the most polarizing face of the league and LeBron James is out, uh, that is tough. LaMelo uh, Ball is out as well. You know, so let me tell you how I wrote, I read this, right? So, <laughs> so I, I saw this as mellow out for the season. I said, boy, that's going to suck for the Trailblazers. Until I realized that it's LaMelo Ball for Charlotte. I said, well, they should have said so. It just it shows, goes to show you um, that the new mellow for a lot of people is LaMelo Ball for uh, the Charlotte Hornets. And he's been fun to watch. I've watched him. I've watched Charlotte maybe eight or nine times this year just to kind of find out what LaMelo is all about. Because, uh, I mean, there's a lot of questions about his the way he plays basketball coming into the draft. I like LaMelo. That guy, he gets he gets his party started, okay? That dude gets everyone involved. Uh, I like him. I like him a lot. I liked him a lot more in the pros than I did watching those um, uh, odd, you know, YouTube clips. I was like, this is a cherry picker. Is this dude, is this dude really serious about basketball? No, he's fun, and he makes others better that I've seen just in his first campaign in the NBA. So all the best to him because... He definitely was uh, a fun to watch. Um, so, by the way, um, I saw the other day that Elgin Baylor, the Hall of Famer, passed away. There's always the question marks about dudes from back in the day and whether or not that they, if they could perform, if they could play today. Uh, and I think that Elgin Baylor, from everyone I've talked to that saw him play, uh, those I talked to on NBA radio, the old heads that watched him play, they're like, yeah, that dude was special. Uh, here's some thoughts about Elgin Baylor. Here's Gail Goodridge on Sirius XM NBA Radio. Elgin was uh, he's just a very special man. He was a great teammate, great friend, very kind, very funny, had a real uh, sense of humor. You know, uh, he, he was just a great guy, uh, in addition to being such a super basketball player. You know, most people uh, don't really realize how good he was. He was as good as any forward who's ever played the game. You know, everybody looks back, uh, or the younger generation looks at uh, Larry Bird and Julia Serving. Well, Elgin was before them, and Elgin did everything that uh, they did. Uh, you know, Bird, you know, was great. Uh, so was Julia Serving. But Elgin was as good as any of them. To watch him play was just a real treat. He was poetry in motion. And, uh, you know, it's a sad day for the NBA. You know, we lost a great one. Some thoughts here from Hall of Famer Bob Pettit. First off, you have to say what a, what a great player he was. And without a doubt, one of the all-time great uh, basketball players. I was asked, but I don't think Elgin got the credit that he deserved. I was asked not too long ago who was the most underrated player that uh, that I could think of, and I could think of Elgin Baylor. You know, he this man was absolutely a superstar, and he would have been a, a superstar in any era that it, that that played basketball. He was that good. And you, you mentioned about playing above the rim. Well, he did it all. And uh, coming across the middle, you could see him. Uh, he could handle the ball. He could bring it up on the press. He could shoot outside. And he was a terrific rebounder. And uh, So, you know, I, I, I'm a great admirer of Elgin, so I have to say that. And I think, you know, he was as good a person as he was a basketball player. So uh, I, I hate to hear that he is uh, he's passed on because – you know, he was a wonderful player and a, and a really nice gentleman. So let's talk about the trade deadline, right? There's a number of players that could be dealt. LaMarcus Aldridge. LaMarcus Aldridge, that whole thing, it just never worked out with him in San Antonio. 
You remember Aldridge being with Damian Lillard and others, and that was a really good one-two punch for the Portland Trailblazers. And then Aldridge goes to the San Antonio Spurs. He just, you know, there was never going to be that seamless transition from uh, David Robinson to Tim Duncan to um, Marcus Aldridge. It just didn't work out. So uh, D.A., our guy, David Aldridge, uh, was talking about how Aldridge could be a player that could help a contending team right now. Uh, not the Bulls, I mean a contending team. I think LaMarcus Aldridge, you know, is a player that could help uh, a, a contending team. Now, it would require him to accept a different role. Now, I don't know if he's ready to do that yet at this point in his career. But, yeah, I think he has to accept a different role of being a guy that's going to come off the bench that's going to be a, you know, a space five, you know, a stretch five, if you will, you know, cause he's incorporated the three into his game and he's, and he's done it pretty well the last couple of years. Um, but not a guy that's going to get, you know, he's not going to be a number one option, probably not going to be a number two option. You know, now can he handle that? Um, I don't know. I think he can, but I think he's going to have, he would have to accept that kind of role on a contending team if he wanted to, you know, play for a contending team. Hey, I got to get to this drama. Last thing, got to get to this drama, right? There is always drama with Kevin Durant, even when he's not looking for it. There's drama with Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant will get on social media and have his second or third Twitter feed or second or third shadow you know, Instagram feed fighting with people that don't like him or fighting with people on social media. Okay, he wasn't even looking for this one. So Steve Kerr, the head coach for the Golden State Warriors, is on The Real Ones. The Real Ones podcast with Logan and um, Raja Bell. It's a podcast I listen to as an NBA fan. It's very good because they've got uh, former players that get on there and they spill their guts about really funny and interesting stories, things that we know about the NBA. I love the one with David West. Uh, they had one with Darren Williams, who played for the Illini. He had a great story about his relationship with um, uh, with the coaching staff there uh, when Darren Williams played for the Utah Jazz and uh, J- Jameer Nelson. There's some interesting names that's on there. So it's a good podcast. I enjoy it. So they get Steve Kerr on, the head coach for the Golden State Warriors. I want you to hear what Steve Kerr said to the real ones on the Ringer podcast with Logan and uh, Raja Bell. Listen. The first uh, four years of our run, the coaching was way more fun just because we were we were joyful and, and everything was was really simple and, and uh, no agendas. And then, you know, that last year, things kind of went haywire. And so even though we went to the finals, uh, it was difficult i enjoyed last season when we had the worst record in the league more than i enjoyed that last season and when we went to the finals because you know we had young guys last year who were you know trying every day and working hard we had a great energy great spirit great camaraderie and losing sucked but you know that what you want is a good vibe and a good you, you want to look forward to going to the gym every day and seeing everybody and that last year was tough. It really was tough. The last, the last year when we lost to Toronto in the finals, it was, there was just a, a lot going on uh, that that you guys, some that you know about, some that you don't, and that was very difficult. So it's it's hard. You know, every year is unique, and you 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 try to enjoy each one for what it is. Ah, Steve Kerr. Now. That sounds interesting, right? He just says, hey, that last year was tough when they lost to the Toronto Raptors. 
Yes, it was tough. Yes, it was very difficult, I'm sure, because they're riding a crest, riding a championship wave, and then all of a sudden, they lose. Now, what was on that? Let me see if I can remember that team. That team, Golden State. Ah, Kevin Durant was on that team. Now, notice that Steve Kerr did not mention Kevin Durant by name. But if you're looking for drama, you know where the drama started. It was Draymond Green and... Kevin Durant and their relationship or lack thereof or their lack of camaraderie or whatever the issue was. If you, I remember this like yesterday when the Warriors last won the championship, Bob Myers took a shot at the, uh, at Kevin Durant for no reason. It, you know, Kevin Durant took a shot at himself saying, you know, it's four plus one. It's the Golden State Warriors with Kevin Durant. He never felt like he was part of the team then why go to the Warriors, right? He never felt like he's part of the team. He's a brooding sort, is Kevin Durant. I don't get it. I love Kevin Durant. If you are a hoophead like me, you should respect the game of Kevin Durant. But I just don't understand how he... I don't understand why he, he doesn't understand. Like, he's beloved, man. Who doesn't lo- love a great basketball player? He, I don't get it. So, of course, Steve Kerr had to walk those comments back. And, boy, he was mad. And he wants you to know... That he wasn't talking about Kevin Durant, even though it seemingly was some shade toward Kevin Durant. Some things he said that that we're not supposed to know, some things that we don't know about that season. I remember that season, and a lot of it was about the disenchantment with Kevin Durant and Durant not liking things about the offense and his issues with Draymond Green. Uh, Kerr says, nah, that didn't happen. I did a podcast a few nights ago with uh, Logan Murdoch. And I mentioned uh, during the podcast that uh, last season, in which we had the worst record in the league, was more enjoyable from a coaching standpoint than the previous season when we lost in the finals. And uh, the context um, was uh, basically that after the five-year run that we were on, uh, that fifth year was just an absolute bear. It was the stress level, um, you know, two... uh, season-ending injuries during the finals. Um, you know, DeMarcus also had a serious injury that took him out of the playoffs for six weeks. We had all kinds of stress. The whole point of the conversation was this, the stress of the, uh, the five-year run compared to coaching a team of young guys that doesn't win any game, many games, uh, but is eager to learn. And I made the comment sort of offhanded that last year was more enjoyable. Um, than that previous season. Um, And that was, and I, you know, that was it. That was my comment. Drew Schiller decided to tweet today that Steve Kerr said he enjoyed last season more than Kevin Durant's last year with the Warriors. Okay. So I want to make this extremely clear. If you, uh, if you want to um, actually get the story accurate, I encourage you to listen to the podcast before um, we sort of take this story into offshoots and and uh, use that as my quote because um, th- that is the furthest thing from the truth. It was a terribly unfair shot, um, completely taking something out of context to the point where people are going to read it and think that that was my quote. To take that comment and put it into a tweet and send it out into the universe was so irresponsible and damaging, and I'm angry. Um, and I know what's going to happen. I know this is going to be taken out in, onto the morning shows and, and people are going to be talking about it. And they're going to use what 
what they think is a quote that is actually something that's completely made up. Um, I'm not happy. Um, I think it's uh, it's wrong. Oh boy, Steve Kerr is not happy. He's angry. He wants you to know that he's angry. Well, all I know is that that last year that he said that was so stressful, that was when Kevin Durant was on the team. Now, there was other reasons why it could have been stressful, but it still stands out that it was Kevin Durant's last year. Now, that probably along with all the stuff you talk about with uh, Boogie Cousins and Clay Thompson and all that. Yeah, that's part of it as well. But he clarified his comments. And so and he called out the writer by name. Wow, that's strong. So, of course, everyone's talking about it. All I know is this, is that Kevin Durant was not respected by a number of players on that Warriors team. I, it's not an opinion. I know that as a fact um, because I just happen to know a few people that cover the Warriors. Uh, and, so, and, they're clo- and they're way closer to it than I am. Um, but that clearly was the case. And even if it wasn't a shot at Kevin Durant, just the idea that the writer brought up Durant and it happens to be the last season of the Warriors. Yeah. So, you know, I just thought that that was interesting. I'm fascinated. Now, actually, the writer was not wrong. That was Kevin Durant's last year. He wrote it as such. He was. And, and also, I think it's also bullshit that, that Steve Kerr says that that year they just had was more pleasurable than actually having a shot to win the championship. I don't believe that at all. <laughs> you're sitting there losing. You you like you're the smartest coach in the NBA when you have all the talent. And then when all the talent's hurt and you're developing young players, all of a sudden you're just an ordinary coach. That's pleasurable. Well, there was some learning from those young players, sure, but it can't couldn't be fun getting up and down on planes and going to all these cities and losing. The great Golden State Warriors can't get the job done because there's no Draymond, no Clay, no Steph. So I don't believe that at all. But I do believe that you will share this podcast. I do believe that you'll say, hey, John the Hood is talking basketball and basketball is hood. And you will tell people, hey, check out this podcast. At least that's the hope, right? And it's on Spotify. If you have not subscribed, you should subscribe to the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast on Spotify. Brought to you by DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook. As always, I appreciate your support. I appreciate your support listening to Cap and J Hood mornings between 7 and 10 a.m. Central on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Oh, and let me tell you this. Because I'm going to have start having time off here and I will return on April 1st. Um, to the radio, but there'll be more podcast, more basketball content uh, on this feed. I've been watching and catching up to Last Chance You on Netflix. I've been watching that this afternoon, having a fun time watching Last Chance You basketball. Don't want to give it away, but it's about an East LA junior college team with a bunch of ne'er do wells people with some fascinating stories, and they have their really their last chance to get into the league whether it's the G League, playing professionally, the NBA, whatever. There's some potential stars in this, but the stories, this documentary, Last Chance You, from the kids from East L.A. uh, Junior College Basketball, it's pretty pretty fascinating. So if you're a basketball fan or just love documentaries, check out Last Chance You on Netflix. I'm Jonathan Hood. Thanks so much for listening to the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast, brought to you by DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook.